What up, all you beautiful misfits and rejects out there? Thank you for joining me for episode 252 of Misfits and Rejects. Today's episode, I spoke with Jared Kett from Invert Containers. Jared's an old friend from the Nicaragua days, and I thought it'd be fun to bring him on after episode 250 with John Eames to kind of talk about life transitioning back into the U.S. after many years of just enjoying this really cool lifestyle on the beach in Nicaragua. Jared's also an entrepreneur and has developed a really cool product, which is also why I brought him on the show because Invert Containers is trying to change the landscape of little pill bottles like for pharmaceuticals or supplements. All that plastic that gets thrown into the trash and winds up on our beaches. Jared's an avid surfer and somebody who's trying to solve that problem. And his containers do solve that problem. And he's in a really cool stage of its development as he's just got a co-packer involved, somebody who already has supplement products and they're willing to use his packaging product. Anyways, it's really cool. I think it's going to take off. I have no doubt Jared is somebody who will not give up, which is why having him on the show is such an inspiration because I've watched him over the years transition from his original product and watch it evolve to where it is today. And his perseverance, his frame of mind has really been a guiding light for me as I continue to try to succeed at my online entrepreneurial endeavors. So thank you, Jared, for being such an inspiration. And if you are somebody who likes compostable, earth digestible products that could really help our environment, you should definitely check out Invert Containers. The link will be in the show notes. And I want to say thank you to you for being here today, listening to Jared and I's conversation. We really appreciate the support. It means the world to me that you come week in, week out, listening to Misfits and Rejects. If you'd like to support Misfits and Rejects, you can do that in one of two ways. You can head over to patreon.com backslash Misfits and Rejects and give a monthly donation. It's all appreciated. Nothing is expected. Big thank you to all my patrons out there who are donating on a month-to-month basis. It really does help cover the cost of producing Misfits and Rejects. Or you can head over to misfitsandrejects.com backslash shop and pick up a Misfits and Rejects t-shirt. All is appreciated. Nothing is expected. And with that said, please sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode with Jared Kett from Invert Containers. Welcome to Misfits and Rejects, a podcast about the lifestyle design of expatriates, travelers, entrepreneurs, and adventurers. I'm your host, Chapin Cruder. Enjoy. I didn't fit in America. With cocaine, there's just always too many guns and too many bad attitudes. I quit the limiting stories. Really try to overcome that fear. And right there, for any of your listeners, a lot of what I was to do in the rest of my life was formulated by the fact I just went and did it. Welcome to another episode of Misfits and Rejects. Today, I'm joined by Jared Kett from Invert Containers. Jared, welcome to the show. Hey, thank you so much, Chapin. It's nice to have you, man. For the audience, Jared is an old friend. Jared lived with me in Nicaragua for many years. And I think it's a nice segue because we just had John Eames on for episode 250. And we talked a lot about, you know, post-expatriotism. And John so beautifully explained how he's even more patriotic after living for so many years in Nicaragua, coming back and really just appreciating what America has to offer. And Jared did the same thing. We ran boats together a lot in Nicaragua. We worked together running surf tours and just living that dream that John and I, you know, have many times gotten together and talked about throughout just crazy fun conversations over drinks and people. And Jared's actually sitting across the mic from me, sipping some Florida Kanye, what, 21 year old Florida Kanye Nicaragua rum? <laughs> yeah, about 12 year. 12 and boy, year. is it smooth. Yes. 
Nice, dude. Well, yeah, welcome, Jared. I'm so happy to have you. This has been a long time coming. Um, good to be in shape. To maybe start to give the audience some more perspective on you and a little bit about your past, uh, where'd you grow up, dude? Uh, San Diego. Grew up in San Diego. And life took you from San Diego where? So from San Diego, uh, I went to um, I went to school up in Santa Barbara, and uh, uh, a mutual friend of ours, Paul Colbert. Uh, that's where I met uh, another one of our boat captains from Nicaragua, and um, Paul and I, we ended up um, spending the summers uh, traveling down to Central America and to Costa, and uh, one year we we. Um, Ended up crossing over into Nicaragua um, because of uh, a, a good friend of, of Paul's, actually, from the surf shop, um, Mr. Jack Yusuferi. And uh, I think uh, one of those days that we were in the shop, we just loosely invited Paul, hey, you guys should check this place out. Uh, it's incredible. Surf's good. Beer's cold. And um, he didn't have to say too much more. We were down in Costa and we crossed that border and uh, you know, the rest is history. We fell in love with the place. And um, that first trip, Chip, I still remember those waves that we caught. Uh, they were so good. I'd never had an experience like that before. I was so uh, grateful. I remember leaving all of, all of my boards at the camp. <laughs> I don't know if you recall that. I, I um I left all of my surfboards down there, uh, not thinking that you guys would invite me back uh, actually to work. And so that's how um that's how it all happened. It's a funny little trick. It's like a girl leaving her glasses at your house after a one night stand, where she's like, <laughs> "Oh, that's weird. I forgot my glasses. I need to come back." And <laughs> yeah, Did we I were happy. To, we were happy to have you back, and you know, you guys had a long history together in Santa Barbara with Jack, my business partner. And, you know, having you guys back with such a breath of fresh air, because being introduced to that world that you guys shared up in Santa Barbara was different from what I experienced in, you know, Southern California, which my audience knows I have mixed emotions about and meeting people who were just so open, honest, genuine, and um, just good, good at heart was I don't want to say rare because I grew up with a lot of great people, but just the way in which you were not like what I was used to in my hometown was mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. was beautiful and new and exciting. I learned a lot from you both. And Paul, I mean, I'd love to get him on at some point, too, because he's got a great story of you know, being in, I think, Iraq for a long time, doing what he was doing. Um, but that's mm -hmm. for another that's for another time. I think I'd like to direct the conversation towards. You know, the the few years you were with us, you know, we shared our time together. And one thing that always struck me about you, Jared, is that you have these, you have a vision. Let's just call it a vision, not in a, in a crazy, weird, hallucinogenic way. But like, you'll have uh, something come into your brain that you become, I don't want to say even obsessed, but maybe I would call it obsession where it's like, I'm going to do that. Like, I'm going to execute on that idea, whether it's you know, a creative idea or something that you feel like the market needs. And mm -hmm. I still remember this day, like you, you were phasing out of work, working with us at Giants Foot going on, I think a trip to the Bahamas, was it someplace in the Caribbean to surf with your sister and yeah, you had this yeah. brand new board and 
sayonara and then i get an email from you saying like my board was destroyed by the airlines which is common commonplace for many surfers we have these very expensive big boards we travel with and a lot of times they arrive at our destination just completely destroyed and that sends you down a very interesting path will you take us through that please yeah absolutely you know as as we know um as entrepreneurs you you have these ideas that come into your mind and um you're on the fence with you know whether it's a good idea whether it's feasible do i have enough time do i have enough money to do this and something happens that just pushes you over the edge it's that um classic tipping point that they um you know refer to um barbados uh, or where that happened that was my tipping point because the idea came about when we were you know doing what we were doing down in nika uh with traveling surfers coming in uh with their boards packaged you know very standard way with duct tape and foam and uh it was a very messy affair uh and it was hard to put back together and it it, it, it took a lot of time and so that idea that seed was planted in my mind watching all these surfers come and go over the weeks over the years and I was thinking to myself, there's got to be a better way to do this, something that's quick, something that's, you know, going to protect the boards. And then, lo and behold, the very thing that I was thinking about using to protect my surfboard, I didn't have it. And then my boards got absolutely destroyed um, on that trip. And, uh, yeah, that was, um, that's what I came home, that's what I came home for, essentially, was, um was that business idea was uh you know what what i what i found was that what began as uh a singular product for um uh, one person like a a traveler person let's say um was the same problem that was felt by uh you know manufacturers which is a even larger you know piece of pie if you want to look at it uh, it was a larger market than i had anticipated and uh that turned into um a years long business uh, uh i don't know if that's that that does that kind of answer the question that you're kind of hitting at sort of we'll get we'll get more detailed with it because obviously that's important to get the audience understand what the actual idea was but you know, for the audience who's sitting there struggling, thinking about their life situation, wanting to maybe chase that dream of a business idea or chase that dream of traveling, you know, you were living in paradise as we knew. I don't think you disagree with that. And then, as you just mentioned, you went home to pursue this idea. Like you were welcome to stay. We would have loved to have you. Uh, but the idea drew you back to the States to leave paradise and kind of get into a grind of like trying to bring this idea to life. So two part question first, was that scary and how did you overcome those emotions that were maybe saying like, don't take that risk, dude, you know, like you have a good thing going, you got friends, you got beach, you got beards, you got babes. Um, you're living the dream. Why leave? And then what did you actually, can you give more detail on the product? Like what did you go then pursue back in the grind in America? Yeah, no, I, you know, I, I loved our lifestyle down there. Um, like you said, it, it, 
was kind of the epitome <laughs> for any surfer. Uh, everything was there, your buddies, the waves, uh, you named it, it was there, it was great. But in my mind, in order to kind of perpetuate it, there needed to be um, gas for the machine. Uh, how was I going to sustain it? How was I going to make it work longer? Uh, and in my mind, this business was, you know, two-year time frame. I'll be back home. Um, I'll take care of business. And then I'll move right back to where I was. And that was one of life's lessons. It, it takes longer than you anticipate. <laughs> A lot longer. And then you, you know, you change. I changed. Um, the, the game changed a bit. But to take a step back, you know, what was the business itself? Uh, it was, you know, surfboard packaging. And it started with, you know, a single product for uh, a, a sole surfer traveling with their single board bag. And that blossomed into packaging uh, 10 boards in a box with, uh, at the time, you know, the largest surfboard builder in the world. And that's what it grew into. And that two-year time frame, uh, you know, turned into uh, six, if not seven years um, in, you know, jumping back and forth to the life that I had before and this new life that I was creating for myself in pursuit of the old life. Um, it was, it was tough. It was tough to go back and forth. It was very, very challenging to keep that dream alive. Wow, Jared, this is something we've never talked about before, and I'm glad this came up so organically within this episode because I'm doing the same thing that you did, you know, and you, I don't want to say gave up, but you recognize the need to actually just settle into America and continue to grind towards that goal of, it, you know, achieving a functional business that hopefully one day will get you back to where you want to be, which possibly is Nicaragua. I know things have changed for you now, as you alluded to, you have a family. I'm still grinding and still doing the same sort of trying to figure out something to get back and sustain myself in a way that uh, I can continue to live that dream. But I'm trying to do it with, with not a physical product, but digital products, you know? Right, and right. my audience has heard about this for years. I've been lamenting about the hardships of it, the frustrations of cutting the cord, hitting the road, trying to make it work. So our two approaches are so different. And I think we should set that aside for another episode. But it's really interesting to hear you say that because I never knew that. I never knew that was the emotion behind what you were doing, the drive, because my drive is the exact same. Like I'm driving to achieve this entrepreneurial digital nomad lifestyle to get back to where I was. But what's happening is it's keeping me here because I can't figure it out, dude. <laughs> and I have to maintain a, a nine to five just to like pay the bills. So yeah. for me, just hearing you say that is a huge relief because it's like, it's nice to know that other people share the same sort of like frame of mind as I do. And then to oh, get the audience, yeah. sorry, go ahead. No, no, no. I, I was just, uh, please continue. I, I, I couldn't agree more. It's, it's, it's the same it's the same path it's the same um uh desire to you know have what we had um again and how do you get there uh it's you're absolutely right it's, it's been tough it's been super tough i love that chapter do you think that if this continues to grow in the way it has over the years and you do get to the point where you are 
financially free, if you will, or to a point where you don't have to be here? Do you think you'd move your family back or do you think that you're in a place now where you'll keep everybody here? See, that's a funny thing. As, as we get older, you know, our mindsets change and my love of Nicaragua has never changed. But what I'm learning is that as we go through life, we have these windows of time surrounded by individuals in their in, in their development and it's beautiful it's special and it's unique and you can't replicate it as much as you try it'll never be the same you could go back down to the same place surf the same waves but the people are going to be different and to have this 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 and this is just my view to have this idea of it's going to be the same as it was, it, it's not. And that's okay. And that's, it, it really underscores the importance of living in the moment and enjoying your time when it comes to you, because it's not always going to be there and shit happens, you know, <laughs> good shit, bad shit. It, it just, it happens. And so I think that if, one thing I could replicate is the euphoria of being in a, a beautiful location with beautiful people. If I can keep that mindset and keep it here stateside and, uh, and, and brings me to my happy place when I go surf my local break, then I feel like I've achieved what I set out to do. And the cherry on top is when I get to go back down there with my family and show them the places that we used to go and spend X, you know, time down there and then bring it back to where we are here i think that's my new goal um but that wasn't always my my primary goal it, it changed as i as i changed as an individual wow yeah this is uh gonna be beautiful to go back and re-listen to because what you just said there i think is something that anybody can digest and and connect with with their current life situation uh, their aspiring dreams as my, as I have, you know, like I'm moving to Mexico January 4th, giving it another go attempt, attempt, I don't even know, like 13 at this point <laughs> since I left Nicaragua. Um, I still hold on to it because I haven't found that place here yet. It sounds like you're closer to it than me and you're comfortable with that. And that's beautiful. That's a, a, a peaceful place I'd like to find within myself at some point. I don't have it yet, but. Thank you for saying that because I think that gives me and a lot of my listeners a lot of perspective on just life in general. Like it doesn't always have to be out there, that thing that you're seeking that's going to bring you happiness. For me, like our time in Nicaragua brought me so much joy and happiness. And then when I left, it remained in my, in my mind, this thing that's out there, out of America, out, out in a place that I have to go seek and find and, and try to duplicate. And it doesn't always have to be like that. Mm hmm. Mm -hmm. it, it, it can be a hybrid, you know, I think those first few years, Jay, I really tried to keep my foot in the door in both countries. And, um, some people are successful with it. I wasn't, I, uh, you know, as you know, we, we, we got that, that, um, that section of coastline and uh, a little place we can hang our hat and, um, a very clear idea, you know, this much time I'm going to spend down there and then this much time I'm going to spend back at home. And then slowly but surely little pool, like little, little strings get 
attached and uh you know the traditional nine to five employers don't necessarily appreciate that <laughs> but that's all changed too now that i think about it it's like all this remote work that's going on maybe it's you know maybe it's more viable than it was a decade ago you know it is and that's i've tapped into that for sure and there's countless stories on this podcast that describe ways in which we can do that but your stories you know so unique and different in that you know you you had this idea and you chased it back to america where you felt it was a more viable place to bring it to life and you've been at it now how many years gosh um let's see 15 15 years 16 years 15 16 years and you know, it's it's definitely incarnated into multiple things, always with the underlying um, ethos of like earth digestible packaging. You know, as you yeah. noted earlier, it was starting with packaging for surfboards to protect them on the, on the travel uh, as surface travel around the world, and we we protect our boards by by protecting the rails of the surfboards and basically put them in these soft bags. But then inside the bags, you have to protect them. And Jared created this really cool. What was it? Um, actually, Jared, why don't you just take over and explain how it started and yeah, what the, no, what the products you used were? Yes, no, spot on. It was um, uh, basically perimeter protection, like you said, around the rails, nose and tail. What set ours apart from the competition was that it was made from recycled paper and it was modular. So if you think of like a Mr. Potato Head and you can kind of put together different parts and assemble it a certain way you could assemble our packaging around the perimeter of the board with a nose cap, a tail cap, and these adjustable rail caps. And uh, it would fit the majority of lengths. And with a few different sets of noses and tails, you kind of encompass this large scope of board design. And uh, it, it worked. It actually worked really well and it was fast. And what would take, you know, 30 minutes to do, you could do in two minutes. And that caught the eye of uh, a large surfboard manufacturer, a few large surfboard manufacturers. And um, again, back to this, you know, paper. Paper was, uh, it didn't start as paper. It started as a plastic and I took it to market and I failed because uh, it was way too expensive. I had a few sales uh, at a local surf shop and uh, it was a bulletproof design. Uh, but it was way too expensive. The price point was too high. And so I had to go back to the drawing board. And that's when I stumbled across uh, molded pulp, which uh, if you think of like your egg cartons, that's molded pulp. Uh, but there are ways to engineer it to make it super strong and resilient. So I took that concept and tinkered around with it and then designed our product from paper. And that's what really took. Uh, and that's where we got our scale and volume. And then that took us from the U.S. Uh, based manufacturing to two different hubs in Asia to be closer to uh, these large manufacturers. And um, the idea, the overarching idea was to have a closed loop system because there was so much plastic and so much trash being generated by packaging these surfboards. If we could, uh, you know, displace that plastic and use this paper material, which by our system, the way that it worked had, uh, you know, two, three, four, five uses to it. 
once it arrived from the factory to retail, it would get stripped down and either handed to you know a, a person shopping for a surfboard for free. They could take it on their trip, so it would get a second use there. Or what we were finding was the surf shops were doing their in-house orders, sending surfboards to buyers across you know the globe. They would repackage it with the packaging that they had just received uh, and send it to them. Um, and there were even local shapers and you know close to these retail shops that would dumpster dive for the product to be able to package their surfboards and send it to you know their recipients. And so it was this idea of having this closed loop system where if we could generate enough volume, there would be so much packaging within the system that you know people wouldn't need to go get bubble wrap and duct tape. They could just use uh, you know our package to um, to do what they needed to do. I mean, in the way you describe it, like, and I was there watching you, you know, bring this to market. It's just like a no brainer. Um, why do you think it didn't take off in a way that made it more viable? <laughs> well, so. Uh, we were really close. Um, I guess like all entrepreneurs think we were really close until we failed. Um, we, we had one large, uh, surfboard manufacturer on board, which led us to, uh, the next largest surfboard manufacturer on board. So uh, in the world. So we had the two largest surfboard manufacturers in the world, uh, buying our product. And it was when the second one took over or started becoming a a customer of ours, um, the the bigger picture of the business was going to take place. It was supposed to be, uh, well, it's a packaging product. It was a packaging product for surfboards. But the idea was once we got enough volume that the packaging wasn't necessarily the primary product, we were going to advertise on the packaging itself, advertise to the boards of tourism, uh, airlines, um, what have you, because there are going to be so many people using this packaging for five uses down the line with so many eyes on the packaging itself, it was going to become basically a moving billboard. And with that second largest surfboard manufacturer on board, like it was, it was going to happen. It was, it was right there until the second largest surfboard manufacturer decided that uh, they wanted the product for themselves. And so they paid us um, for the first two shipments, I think it was. And then they traced the shipment back to our manufacturer. And uh, over the course of several months, they uh, bombarded that manufacturer with, um, you know, trying to get our pricing. And uh, they did a pretty good job of defending uh, our pricing as much as possible, but at the end of the day, our pricing got out, and uh, that large company demanded our product at cost, and we just couldn't afford to do that, and that put us under. Mm, those fucking sharks—they always seem to find a way through. Yeah, yeah, it was pretty devastating actually, because uh, at that point, I think we were six six years in, six years into the business. And uh, then that happened and we just didn't have enough money in the coffer to, uh, to fight it. And uh, we were having troubles 
you know, with um, our, our, our main product, we had to refine it. We didn't have money in the bank for that. And uh, yeah, classic, you know, not enough money. And um, before long, it was just time to pull the plug. Well, this is great. And thank you for being so transparent, because I think these are the types of things that people need to hear as we started, you know, this portion of the conversation. It's like, fucking million dollar idea. No brainer, dude. Easy. You know, and as you noted, six years down the line, you know, one of the biggest manufacturer board manufacturers in the world just basically copies you and, and says, fuck off. And I mean, there's countless stories like yours, but luckily that's not the end of the story. And you pivoted and you yeah. took, took your idea in a new direction. Talk us through that. Yeah. Yeah. So I, um, it took a little time. Um, I was definitely over it for a good six months. <laughs> if not a year, just trying to figure out how to make everything fit together, um, how to keep food on the table in terms of uh, jobs and employment. And Which were what? Also, just just so the audience can know, like what kind of work were you doing as you licked your wounds and tried to keep your family afloat? Uh, let's see here. Uh, I worked as a, a waiter. I worked on ambulance. I was a lifeguard. Um, I became a firefighter um those those all kind of led into what i'm doing currently which is you know it's the same story it's being you know an entrepreneur but having well i should say having a job but having your side hustle at the same time uh, and that's kind of where i'm at still to this day i i have my my day job and then i have my my business and um that has not changed but you're also at a point where it's way more refined. Um, your vision at this point, even though it's clear to begin with, has 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 grown in a way that the market has grown, I guess, is what I'm trying to say, that you, you actually have tapped into a market. The surf market's small, dude. I was in the same game trying to sell surf courses to surfers and like surf, the surf culture sucks. <laughs> no offense to any surfer listening. Like we're cheap. We want. You know, we want to go on trips for inexpen for for nothing, and for for us to actually make money in that the surf industry is very difficult. Any surfboard manufacturer will tell you to the margins aren't even there. But you pivoted in a really cool direction, which is what caught my attention. You know, yeah. trying to solve the problem with this really cool earth digestible product that you created of you know these plastic medical bottles that we all get our pharmaceuticals in whatever you're into, whether it's antibiotics or Oxycontin all come in that same plastic medical orange bottle with the white cap. And you saw an angle that you could take advantage of, dude. And I'm, that's kind of why I brought you on. Cause I think it's so cool and so unique. And although it's, it's a hard road, I think you have something, dude, that's that's worth talking about, dude. So let's go into that, please. I love it, man. I love it. Yeah. I mean, we, you know, you pick yourself up and uh, we had set up all this infrastructure, uh, manufacturing abroad. It, it took a long time to set that up. And so we have this wonderful material. Uh, it's really versatile. Uh, it's strong. It's surprisingly strong. And at the same time, you know, for any of us that spend time in the water or in nature, you hate seeing trash 
in, at your local lineup. You hate seeing trash when you're, you know, <laughs> going on a hike in beautiful, pristine nature and you see, you know, a plastic cup or bottle on the ground or a wrapper. It's just, it's, it's sickening. And so in this plastic waste crisis is happening at the same time that I'm thinking of ways to take this wonderful material and apply it to a larger market with a need. And as you pointed out, it was pill bottles. Um, pill bottles, it, it seemed crazy. It is crazy. Um, but it's not so crazy now. It's, you know, five years into this one. And uh, I, you know, I told my now wife, you know, if there's any red flags, I'll stop. If, you know, if I keep uncovering the regulations, because I had to read up like what, what goes into a pill bottle? What are they looking for? Um, you know, what's, per, what's permissible in uh, a pharmacy um, or what your vitamins come in and, and so forth. And the more that I did my research, the more that I realized that it was more just naysayers and, and not to, you know, detract from, you know, standards. There are some very high standards that products have to perform to in order to protect the contents that they protect. Um, but the more that I read, I was like, I know this material. I've done this before. I've done this with the surf product. This material is incredible. I bet you we could create something that isn't, um, you know, uh, um, a product that's going to solve everyone's problem, but it can solve someone's problem. And it's such a giant marketplace that even a small sliver of that giant marketplace is worth something. And who knows, maybe it'll turn into something bigger than we anticipate, kind of like the surfboard. And so uh, that's that's how it all started. So yeah, now we are in um, business providing, uh, as you said, earth digestible packaging. It's the, the first molded fiber alternative to the traditional plastic pill bottle. And uh, what we um, try to target are, you know, small to medium-sized co-packers. Uh, co-packer being someone that uh, manufactures, um, say, for example, pills, um, supplements, uh, vitamins. And um, we uh, basically implement this uh, packaging system in a turnkey format where uh, you know we can differentiate your brand from someone else's uh, just by the way of you know, the packaging, it looks so different than anything else out there, um, that it stands out on the shelf. Uh, it's not tied to plastic resins. It's made from recycled craft paper, which is post-consumer. Uh, it is compostable, which is huge. And, you know, one of the, one of the ways that I try to frame it in people's minds are, you know, the average claim shelf life of a supplement is two years or less, but the packaging that it comes in lasts up to 450 years. That's, that's nuts. And I don't think it has to be that way. And so that's what we set out to do with this earth digestible packaging is find a, a viable solution that's sufficiently protective, but also, uh, you know, uh, breaks down in a reasonable way that um, doesn't burden generations to come. 
Yeah, dude. And it's, I mean, no one's going to argue with that perspective and, and what you're trying to accomplish, you know? And what's cool about you, though, is you, you've gained traction. And it's not just some lofty idea that you're still kind of like praying and hoping that someone's going to get involved and get excited about because you've had multiple rounds of funding. People are interested. And it's just you're knocking now on the doors of, you know, these big manufacturers to to jump on board and, and stop polluting, essentially. Like how many times do you walk down the beach and found somebody's like disposed little pill bottle? Like I can say yeah. hundreds of times for me. Yeah, absolutely. Every time I see it, it's kind of funny. It lands on the days where I'm like, ah, today sucks. And then I come <laughs> a bottle. I'm like, oh, all right, I got to keep going. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there it is right there, that motivation of just seeing it and knowing that this is destroying our earth. And I mean, not even our earth, but the lives of many people who are hooked on, you know, so many horrible things that the pharmaceutical companies just putting in their bodies. But I mean, the just the term, you know, earth digestible packaging is so cool, dude. I mean, it gets me so excited to hear like, so just kind of give us a quick summary of like where you're at and, and what the business looks like right now. Yeah, of course. So um, we are excited. We've got a pilot going with uh, a co-packer um, that they're in the process of transitioning their in-house brand to our packaging, which is a huge step for us because, uh, you know, no one wants to go first. And when you get someone that has been in business for 30 years to jump on board with you, it says something. It says uh it says that someone believes in it and is willing to put their their brand on the line because they believe in it so much. And so that's that's where we are currently uh, in the supplement space. Um, we're launching that product here uh, in early Q1 next year. Um, we're actually in the process of doing the label art right now, which is kind of a cool, cool part of the process. Um, but what's, you know, What's interesting about it is when it's like it's like fishing when one when once one one fish bites the whole school bites and that's kind of what we're kind of experiencing right now. Um, there's a lot of interested parties in different sectors because it's such a ubiquitous product. Uh, we have um, some interest in uh, the cannabis space right now, and we have uh, interest in the um, in the beverage space in um, the Caribbean right now. And it all seems to, it all seems to pop off at the same time. So we're, we're in a very exciting stage in the product. Um, and I, I couldn't be happier with uh, the progress that we've made. So obviously this isn't your nine to five. You still have to work, you know, with the fire department, and this is still your side hustle, although it's gained a lot of traction and you've been at this a long time. I mean, the the times that we chat and catch up, you know, you are you're constantly surprising with your knowledge of so many things when it comes to patents and just the the container industry at large. What would you say on a timeline is realistic for this thing to to gain ground so you can maybe start stepping away from? your nine to five, if you were to just throw a number at us. Months, it's really, years. Yeah, I'd say we're still years away, um, which the rate at which we're going now, it seems like some really big things are lining up. Um, the big thing is getting this co-packer um, involved 
And having someone legitimize your business that actually has a, a, a market share is um, gonna gonna expedite things quite a bit. Um, the, the beauty of working with a co-packer is that they attract brands with whom they fulfill products. So for example, a co-packer may have, you know, five brands that they service. Each brand is its own entity. It's its own business and they're selling their products, but they're all manufactured under the one co-packer. So in getting in bed with one co-packer, you're getting in bed with five people and each of those brands could take off in different directions. And so that's where we're at right now is setting up this infrastructure with the co-packer, which I think should take a good six months to a year to get all the machinery in place that allows us to scale. Um, but, you know, it just takes that first large order. And uh, I think, as you know, Chapa, we got that large order last month and uh, <laughs> we had to turn it down, which is a crazy thing to think about. The one thing you want, and yet uh, it's also the one thing that can take you down very quickly if you're not ready for it. And we're just we're not there yet. We're probably a couple months away from being ready for it. Um, but it was a huge sign that we're we're heading in the right direction. And uh, I do believe that if we set up the machinery uh, in a successful way this year, uh, within the next, you know year and a half uh we can build a team um i can surround myself with people that are way smarter and better at doing this stuff than i am and uh, i can slowly kind of uh, exit through the side door yeah man and thank you again for being so transparent i think this perspective is so real for so many people who have tried their hat in entrepreneurship you know you've been at this for so many years now and you've had so many incarnations of the first company I think was called Bast. Is that correct? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then it incarnated into what? Strictly into invert containers, or was there something in between? Yeah, it was. It was. Uh, it went straight to invert. It, it was kind of a no name for a couple years, and then um, and then invert kind of came to be. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, just lifestyle design. You know, you and I sharing waves sharing beers, sharing this beautiful life, and then you having a calling to go out and try to solve this, you know, huge pollution problem that the pharmaceutical company is creating, um, which I guess ultimately it led to that. It, it started off in a different way, but um, is interesting. I think for a lot of listeners out there who, you know, might not necessarily need to go move to paradise, but they know that there's something in them. They have to prove to themselves or share with the world but they're not quite really ready to do it or know how to get started. Do you think you could share some words of wisdom with them to help them maybe take that first step and challenge themselves or face their fears to go out and do what they're meant to do? Yeah, absolutely. I think in the very beginning, one of the first things that was the hardest thing to do was to tell people what I did. Uh, on one hand, I've, I've had to keep my cards close to my chest um, with intellectual property. So I'll, there's that side of it. And if that's your situation, then good on you because people will take advantage of the sensitive information. It's happened multiple times now. Um, so I understand why I stayed quiet, but at the same time, 
I felt almost ashamed of what I what I did because it was so different than what most people are doing in a traditional nine to five. Uh, and there were situations where people kind of scoffed at it too. Like, Oh, you, you know, you have a hobby. It's like, well, actually, no, it's, it's, it's not a hobby. <laughs> I put a lot of time and effort into that. And um, I would take offense to that. And then that kind of made me go back into my shell. And so for someone that's starting out, I, I would say, own it, own it be confident in what you're doing. Be confident that you're following uh, your passion and, um, and you're going to, you're going to get a lot more no's than yeses. Um, but be confident knowing that you're, 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 you're pursuing um, what you're, you're supposed to be doing. So true, Jared. Thank you so much for your time. I appreciate you, brother. Thank you, Chip. Awesome, Jared. Thank you so much for your time, folks. Definitely check out Invert Containers. I put a link in the show notes. They're really cool. I think they're going to change the world. They're definitely going to help the world when they become more adopted by these bigger brands and hopefully maybe even pharmaceutical companies who are interested in doing the right thing for our environment. Fingers crossed. Remember, if you're a first-time listener, hit that subscribe button. Thank you again for joining us today. I really appreciate you. I think you all are so very beautiful. If you'd like to support Misfits and Rejects, you can do that through patreon.com backslash Misfits and Rejects. It's a monthly donation, whatever you want, $1, $2, $5. It's all appreciated. Nothing is expected. Or you could head over to misfitsandrejects.com backslash shop and pick up a t-shirt. Thank you again, and I'll see you in next week's episode. Take care. Ciao. Thank you for listening to Misfits and Rejects. I hope this inspires you to think about your life situation, where you're at, and possibly make a big decision to... Choose something different for yourself if you're unhappy with where you're at in life. I hope these people that I interview inspire you to go out, spread your wings, and try something new. To live a different lifestyle that maybe your whole life people were telling you was the wrong one, but when in fact it's the perfect one for you. And I'll see you next time.